This morning uh, is some of my favorite moments when we gather as a church or baptism services, and this morning is one of them. And it's really uh, an invitation for all of us, an invitation to respond to Jesus Christ. You know, we're in this book study on the book of Galatians, and really this short book, yet powerful book, is really a battle between what we think saves us and what actually saves us. And Paul is, is sort of fighting that battle to get to the hearts of people, to recognize what truly saves a person. And there's division at this time amongst the church leaders in the churches about what, what in fact saves us. What, what do we need to do to be in? What do we need to do to belong? And you have a, a history of a group of people that have been given a way of life and it's been important um, to, to follow this way of life, yet they've got caught in the trap of believing that the, the commandments that God has given them is really a metric system that uh, they must follow to be saved. And Jesus Christ comes like, that's not how it works. But there's fighting over this sort of idea that there are metrics that a person must hit to be saved. And this is something that throughout history to this day, we're all kind of combating in our lives. Because we live in a sort of metric-obsessed world where we're always looking at uh, grades, numbers, you know, things that sort of give us identity, um, things that sort of say whether we're in or out. And this creeps into the church, it creeps into our relationship with God where we, we begin to believe that it's about things we do that ultimately saves us. And yet, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. So in Galatians 2, and Brody last week started um, this chapter talking about this division, um, Paul goes on to write about his relationship with Peter, another important leader in the church. And he says this starting in verse 11. When Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So let me just pause because you have to understand this to understand what he's saying here. You have really two distinct groups of people. You have the Jewish people and then you have the Gentiles, which is the, the best way to understand this is just anybody who's not Jewish. The Jewish people have, have been given the law. They've been given a certain way to live, a certain way to eat. Uh, they must be circumcised. This was a covenant that God, um, a symbolic covenant that God gave as in a commandment to Abraham and to the, to the people of Israel. And, and then you have Gentiles who were, were all sorts of different people. And when Jesus comes, there's, a, there's an invitation to the Gentile people, you and me to be adopted into this family, the family of God. But they're trying to navigate, like what does this new diverse family look like? 
Because we have a group over here that has all this history and tradition and custom. And then you have this group over here who don't. So how do we mix these, these groups of people? And what must we do and what must we not do? One of the things that you did was, as a Jewish person, you didn't eat with Gentiles. Um, and this is what's happening with Peter. He's getting kind of um, pressure from both sides. So when he talks about the circumcised group, he's talking about the Jewish people. And they're fighting over like, um, can I eat with a Gentile? And, and like historically, no, we didn't. And so you had a group of people that go, it is not right to eat with a Gentile. So Peter, what are you doing? Don't eat with Gentiles. Don't eat what Gentiles eat. Do not hang out with uncircumcised people. And um, Paul's like, this is, this is wrong. Like this sort of division is wrong. And he goes, I went to Peter face to face and I said, what you're doing is wrong. The other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, this is verse 13, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and, do, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And there's the important word, customs. These are not um, things that, even though the belief is that, this, that these customs that, that the that Jewish people have been following um, were, were acts towards salvation. That was the belief, and yet it was not true. These were customs, these were practices, these were traditions. He goes on to say, who, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Okay? It is not about the metrics. It's not about how good you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished or what you haven't done and how good of a person you are. But he goes, but by faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. Here's the difference between, the, the battle between what we, we often think saves us and what actually thinks us. We think we save ourselves. And a lot of us live, live lives where, we're, where we may not believe that or even say that, but we live functional lives where that is true. Functionally, we are trying to save ourselves, But it is not uh, what saves you. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be a pseudo-messiah. No matter what you do, no matter how many people uh, you lead to Christ, no matter how many Bible studies you lead, no how much money you give to the, to the church, that doesn't, that doesn't save you. Now, are those things good and great? Does God want to use you in those, those ways? Absolutely. But it is, it is in response to his, the salvation that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. So what saves you? Jesus saves you. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. And it is faith in Jesus Christ that saves a person. So, Verse 16, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, 
We Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Because they're sort of fighting over, like, is it sinful to even be around a Gentile? But Paul goes on to say, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I will really be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. That right there is an exclamation point. <laughs> if, if it was possible to save yourself by your good behavior, your moral you know, aptitudes, your spiritual um, life, then Christ's death did nothing. It means nothing. But if we can't save ourselves, if we need a Messiah, if we need someone to rescue us, then Christ's death accomplished all of that. Baptism um, is really the invitation for a person uh, to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to publicly acknowledge that. To publicly say, I, I now know and understand uh, what it means uh, to be saved and how to be saved. And it, it's, I can't do it. There is a, uh, when you stand in front of your church publicly, you're, you're in one hand saying, I cannot save myself, and in the other hand saying, but Jesus can. And that's powerful. And that's why we're called to be baptized. You know, doctrinally, we here at the Highlands, we do not believe that baptism is a method of salvation because of exactly what we just read. I mean, you can lump in the, a lot of different uh, tr like spiritual practices into what Paul says kind of the law. Like we're not justified by following the law. You're not justified by getting baptized. You're not justified by going through, you know, communion class or being confirmed. It doesn't save you. You are saved by Jesus Christ. Salvation, uh, baptism does not move you from hell to heaven. Jesus Christ does. Because if, if baptism saves you, then Christ died for nothing. Just baptize people. If that's the method. And we've got a lot of people who've got tricked into believing that. Like certain things, customs or practices or even spiritual commands that the Bible gives us, like baptism, saves a person. It's Christ and Christ alone. Now, does that mean that a person can choose whether or not to be baptized? No. In fact, Peter stood in front of the, the earliest believers and, and um, he preaches to them about sin. And the people, the spirit moves in the people's hearts. And in the book of Acts, it says, they turned to Peter and the apostles and they said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. 
And if the Spirit stirs in your heart, even this morning, that's, that's, that's the invitation. Repent and be baptized. And I've talked, I've talked about this a lot, but I think it's worth saying again is, you know, we've, we've in the church like separated these, like the repentance and the baptism into two different sort of events where the Bible's like, that's not really biblical. <laughs> it's not repent and maybe be baptized or repent and then later on be baptized. It's not repent and then when it feels good and convenient, be baptized. It's repent and be baptized. There's the story of this Egyptian eunuch who gets saved. He repents, gives his life to Jesus Christ, and he's like, he sees a puddle of water, and he goes, there, like, what's stopping me? Let, will you baptize me there? Like, the dude gets it. And they go down to, like, a puddle, and they, he's baptized. And yet, we've, we've kind of turned it into this Brian, our worship pastor, and I have talked about this a lot over the last year. Like, we've turned this into this sort of mystical, really difficult, kind of like high standard mountaintop thing that should just be a very natural thing that we're doing in the church really often. Inviting people to turn to Jesus and then being baptized. It's just how, it's what the Bible outlines how the church should practice this. But it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves a person. It's recognizing that you need a Messiah and a Savior, that you cannot meet the standards of perfection and holiness and righteousness, but that what Christ did on the cross pays the penalty of your sin, and by faith you can receive the righteousness of Christ and have salvation and adoption into his family forever. That is the gospel, it is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus died to give you. And every single one in this room and anyone watching online has been invited to receive that gift. Because for God so loved the world, as far as I can tell, you all are in the world right now. None of you are, you know, avatars from another planet or, you know, wearing one of those weird goggle things that now everyone's coming out with and in the metaverse, like you are, you, God, if you're in the world, Jesus died for you. It's because he loves you. And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And some of you here have maybe never received the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and this gift. And I want, to, I want to invite you this morning to receive that. And I want to invite you to, to then respond by, by stepping into baptism. So we believe Jesus Christ and the work that he did on, um, on the cross and the work that was accomplished through his death and resurrection is that saves us. And baptism then is, is an act of obedience because Jesus tells us to be baptized. If you're a Christian and you want to be obedient to following Jesus Christ, he calls us to baptism. 
And it is a public proclamation of something that has already happened, that Jesus has saved us. So when you are, when you are lowered into the water, symbolically it's representing the death of Christ. As you're submerged under the water, it's, it's symbolically representing the burial of Christ. As you come up out of the water, it's symbolically re- um, representing the resurrection of Christ. And all of it is symbolically and powerfully ex- expressing what, what Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a beautiful act, public act, to proclaim just that. So, you know, I said this at the last baptism service, and it's worth saying again. There's really three types of people that are sitting probably in this room. The first is some of you have never received the gospel, never received Jesus Christ, and um, you've heard the gospel and you have to hear it before you, can, before you can respond to it. You can't respond to something you haven't heard, but now you've heard it. And if, I wondered if you, if you let, if you said just in your heart, God, um, make it real to me. Move in me if this is real. How do I respond to this? Like if, if the spirit might show up and say, come, yes, receive. I love you. Receive what I've done for you. It's a gift that Jesus died to give you and he's offering it to you today. And if you wanna say yes to that, you get to say yes to that today. And then I would say, come be baptized to celebrate that. The second type of person is, is somebody here who, you know, baptized as a baby. And we have a lot of people in our church that were baptized as a baby. And I get asked this question a lot, you know, do I have to be re-baptized? And um, the answer is no, you don't. Um, the other question I get is, do I need, like, does it replace my baptism? And no, like, you, if you were baptized as a child, a baby, you didn't really have the choice your parents made the choice, and that's awesome that your parents wanted that for you and, they, and you were baptized. And if you decided as an adult that now I want to be baptized because I want this to be my choice, it doesn't replace the baptism that your parents chose for you to have. It confirms it. So do you have to be baptized again? No. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to redo it. Um, but that's between you and God. And we have people that in, in, their, in, in their prayer life believe that they, they're supposed to step into baptism as an adult, and they do, and then others who don't. And I don't think one person's going to heaven and the other's going to hell. Because you are not justified by works. You're justified by Christ. So if you were baptized as a baby and you want to be baptized as an adult, you're invited to do that today. The third type of person is the most peculiar person to me. Um, And that is the Christian who has not been baptized. Who knows uh, about baptism, who's heard about baptism, 
and for whatever reason is not. Like, I don't understand it. Um, help me understand it, if that's you. I would love to hear the reasoning behind it because I don't see anything here that would sort of justify it, but maybe you, maybe there, maybe you have something. I'd love to hear it. But, um, and I say this with love, but as, far as I, but as far as I can tell, a Christian who's refusing to be baptized or waiting for it to be perfect or waiting to feel right about it, like all the things that get in the way, you're being disobedient to the command that, that God has given you to repent and be baptized. And I don't want that for you. I don't think God wants that for you. And I just say, get whatever, you know, honestly, it's gotta be pride or something like that that's keeping you. Or fear. I mean, all those things are not of God. So man up, get o and step into obedience. Because it's not what God wants for you. It's not obedience. It's, and, and you know, quite frankly, it could be holding you back. So here's what we've done. We've eliminated every, as many things that could get in the way of you being baptized this morning as possible. We have countless numbers of shirts and shorts and towels in the green room. And so here's how it's, here's how it's gonna work. If you wanna be baptized this morning, you're invited. Now, um, I do have an asterisk. If you're an elementary child, um, we wanna invite you to wait and attend a baptism class because it's important to us that a child understands baptism and is making that choice for themselves in their understanding of baptism and they're not being influenced by anyone else. So we're, we're not gonna invite elementary kids to be baptized this morning unless they've gone through the baptism class. But if they're interested, they should sign up for the baptism class and there will be plenty of opportunities for them to be baptized in the future. But here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna, um, I'm gonna invite the band up now. We're gonna sing and worship. And the invitation is for anyone to come be baptized. You're gonna go out these, any door and you're gonna make your way around toward the bathroom and there's a room there. And you'll see tables with signs of different size clothing. You can use the bathroom um, to change. You're gonna get into shorts and a t-shirt. And uh, there's gonna be people back there that are telling you step by step what to do. They're there to pray for you. Um, we're not gonna ask you to share. I love when people share their testimonies, but I understand it can be a hurdle for people to talk publicly. You know, I get it. But, you know, we don't see anywhere where you have to do that biblically, even though it's great. So you don't have to share. And you'll come into the, the warm tub, by the way. We have a heater. We had a heater in that bad boy. Last time we did not. So there, for some of you are like, oh, I heard the water was cold. Can't use that excuse now either. Um, and we'll, we will, Pastor Brody and I will baptize you. I want to invite Brent Bills up. Brent is one of our overseers. I want you guys just to see him so you can know him. 
By the way, as one of our overseers, he's someone you can always ask for prayer from and ask any question about our church. But he's going to be available um, outside of the auditorium, kind of in the green room area. Just if you have any questions, if you're kind of uncertain or need prayer or just have questions about baptism, he's going to be available for you. So look, look for Brent. So with that, would you stand with me? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the work that you accomplished on the cross through your obedience and sacrifice. And um, I pray, Spirit, that you would work now in our hearts. And I just, I pray, God, against shame, fear, condemnation, that people wouldn't respond um, inappropriately, but that they'd be moved by you, Spirit. And um, I pray against the fear that the enemy will try to instill in people from stepping into baptism. I pray against the deceit and, and sort of the ways in which the enemy may try to trick us into thinking, I don't have to do it, or I'm going to wait to do it. I think about the disciples just, after hearing the invitation from you, Jesus, come, follow me, how they just drop their nets immediately. And I don't know what's in our net this morning that's keeping us from just going to you, but give us, God, the courage to drop our nets and go to you, Jesus. What a morning to celebrate that we have hope because of you. I pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Respond to God. It's, uh, it may be the best thing you ever do in your life. <laughs>